is the West Side King's Church podcast, where we aim to encounter and embody the surprising grace of Jesus. All right. So thanks uh, for joining us again for uh, another week of our short circle, Growing Goodness. This is our second last short circle of this series. Um, and today we are going to be talking about justice. So I've been looking really forward to this particular conversation. I mean, they've all been uh, great, but I, I have a special kind of place in my heart for this kind of conversation. So I'm glad to be here with you, Tyson, and and uh, those joining us tonight on the podcast. Um, so when I was reading this chapter, uh, the way that it opens up in the book, um, A Church Called Tove, they talk about um, Rachel, I think you pronounce her last name, Den Hollander. Um, and she's that former gymnast on the U.S. Olympic team. And she's uh, one of the gymnasts that really spearheaded the um, bringing Larry Nasser um, and his abuse to the forefront. He was an osteopath, I believe. And uh, it, it turns out that he ended up abusing quite a few of the girls on the Olympic team. And I remember watching this in the, in the news, uh, you know, here and there, but just being able to read in the book a little bit more about how it can relate to justice and our understanding of justice. And there's particularly this one quote from Rachel that I just found uh, really sobering. It was really, it really caught me um, off guard. And I just thought it was just such a beautiful quote was that she addressed Larry Nasser in the courtroom. And um, she was talking about his final judgment. She was talking about the fact that, you know, judgment was going to come down on him and that she really wanted him to repent. And then she says this to him, she says, and that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you too. And I, I just, I mean, I cannot believe that she had that amount of composure and, and I was blown away by that. Um, and what they talk about in the book is that, that's a bit of a well-known story when it comes um, to Rachel Den Hollander and her story. But what we don't really hear about and what I, I know that I didn't hear about it was that she also helped uncover um, a lot of sexual abuse within the church network that she belonged to the SCG and that um, she actually received a ton of backlash from the church leaders in within this church network. Um, and that while we watched her on the news and while we watched her, you know, on cable being as brave as she was, and she was really championed as a hero um, behind the scenes of her church, the place where she was supposed to be, you know, you would think the most secure and the most supported behind the scenes um, within her church, she was actually being labeled divisive which yeah. yeah so you know that word divisive and and we'll get to that a little bit and how that word oftentimes is used to silence people but in this a chapter particularly it talks about justice and loyalty so I, I kind of wanted to land there for a few minutes with you Tyson um this idea sure. of loyalty and um loyalty especially within the church and um loyalty being seen as this really high virtue and uh, kind of getting into the language around toxic loyalty and and what are your thoughts around that yeah yeah i mean it it, it is an interesting one for sure because and a lot of the things that we're you know we're having conversation about over the the weeks as we've kind of unpacked this are they're all cultural pieces right and so there's a big one about being loyal to um to a to a culture to a church community to it's it's kind of a it's kind of a catch catch word if you will that kind of gets thrown around um and, and i think i understand a little bit of where it starts and I don't always think it starts in a bad spot. Um, I, I think there's, when I hear the word loyalty, what I, what I think about is a commitment kind of through thick and thin. When, when I think about that in its purest sense, when I hear the word loyalty, I, I think about, right, someone that is, 
is, is going to commit through the good and the bad. Someone that's going to stand there when things get rough and also be there to celebrate when things go well. And I think there's a biblical sense in that. And, you know, in this call to weep with those who weep and right and mourn with those who mourn and celebrate with those who celebrate and this understanding of the early church in acts, when you look at the sharing of life together. So I think loyalty in its purest form has the right intention in it, but I do think it's a word that's been spun um, to potentially. And as, as Scott and Laura, you know, unpack in here, create this, this toxic loyalty where it can be used and leveraged against people um, to get them to act a certain way, to, to be silenced in some things, um, to control, to manipulate, to, um, to cover up to, you can, you can start to unpack a whole whack of different things under that term. And so I think that's where it starts to get messy is when the loyalty piece, like the church in and of itself, there is this call and I'm going to maybe go off here for just a minute, but (laughs) yeah, surprise. But there is, there's this sense of, and maybe it's my own personal wrestle and frustration and things. It's been common within church world to, um, when something doesn't go your way within a church, you get up and leave and you go find a new church. Um, to me, that's treating a church as a business and as an organization, and it's just consumer product and you're just there to get something. And when that thing doesn't meet your needs, like a, like you would treat a grocery store, a gym membership or whatever, you're like, well, now I'm just done with this place and I'm going to take my business somewhere else. Right. The loyalty piece in its truest form and the, really the call of the church is, is to actually understand what does it mean to share in life together? Jesus talks about, you know, loving your neighbor, pray for your enemies, those who treat you poorly. What does that look like? Um, you know, they slap you, give them the other cheek, carry the code an extra mile. Like these are all things that uh, there's challenges in it to say, how do we not just buckle when things don't go exactly how we want them to, or we don't see exactly, you know, everything that's in it for us. I know there's um, a guy by the name of Hugh Halter wrote this book called the tangible kingdom. And he was talking about just kind of their, um, their movement of house churches within Denver, Colorado. And um, he said, he always loves when he gets the complaint of someone who comes in and says, Hey, um, I didn't really enjoy the worship today um, and the music. And he just said, good. Cause it wasn't about you anyways. Um, and just tries to help them kind of re, I mean, it's pretty blunt and, you know, you can guess maybe what tone he says it is. And however, but, but there's something to be said in that to like, there is a call for a church to learn how to live together as a family would, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be moments where we get kind of frustrated with each other and we've got to learn how to sort that in a healthy way. In a healthy way. So again, I say that in the sense of loyalty in its purest form in that sense, I think is that call for us to live in community together and to learn how we navigate things. Now, it doesn't always work that way. It's not always um, clean. We we understand that. Um, and loyalty can also be twisted and manipulated, which we unfortunately have seen time and time again. And it is where you get that language of someone being divisive. Um, yeah when they, when they bring something forward in a genuine spirit of trying to wrestle and figure out how do we share in life together, be in community together and unpack something that has come out. Um, and sometimes we're afraid of the mess. So we, we shut things down and just say, no, 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 no. That's going to rock the boat too much. We're scared of people leaving. We're scared of what people are going to say. We're scared of the backlash. Yeah. That potentially comes out of it that we sh- we shy away from it and we call people unloyal yeah. to an organization when they're trying to be loyal to a community and i th- and i think that's a really interesting distinction to make and i know david's taught about it in a sunday teaching this difference between an organization and a community and the language and how we talk about that and how we think about that so uh, that's my early ramblings anyways. And I was trying to get more <laughs> no, I, concise and, and, fo- and dialed in as we keep going here, but. Yeah, I know. I really like what you're saying is that loyalty in of itself isn't, you know, isn't wrong and it's not bad when it's rooted, you know, in the things when it's rooted in Christ, when it's rooted in Jesus, like yes. 
ways, right? Um, uh, something that Laura and Scott talk about in the book is um, is this aspect of loyalty that maybe takes a bit of a sideways turn. And what they say in the book is that loyalty is not a virtue if, so it can be a virtue, but loyalty is not a virtue if it obstructs justice and prevents people from doing what is right. Yes. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about, right? That it, loyalty is good to a point, but once it actually starts to prevent people from doing what is right and, and making the good choices um, and, and the healthy choices, that's when we get that turn into uh, toxic loyalty. Um, and so there, there's something that I've heard you and David talk about uh, quite a bit. And it's going back to that word um, divisive. That's oftentimes used, like you just said, um, in order to, yeah, it's a bit of a term for gas, you know, people use when they want to gaslight um, right. somebody who is trying to address some real issues. And a lot of times the scripture that is cited when somebody is trying to really drive home that point of just being divisive is that Matthew 18 um, scripture. So I wonder if you could kind of, I know I told you I was going to go there. Um, if you wanted to maybe unpack a little bit of that Matthew 18 scripture and sort of where we get that wrong. Yeah. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of verses that Christians love to take out of context. Um, this is, you know, a, a, a pretty famous one in, in that way. Um, it's one that Scott and Laura unpack a lot in the book because it is one that's always used within um, any sort of church. Um, if there's any sort of big kind of unraveling of a, you know, a church leader, whatever that looks like, it's a common verse that everyone brings forward and says, no, 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 but why are we why are we doing this now have you followed these steps because matthew 18 is very clear on this except they haven't really understood what's happening within matthew 18 they just have read and this is the mess of just the english bible in general where we get these chapters and headings and verses and and so we assume there are these all these broken up thoughts when we read scripture when the reality is is when you look at a book in the bible it was meant to be read as a book, like, hey, sit and listen to this story. Sit, right? It, it was not to be broken up like Lord of the Rings and here's six different sessions that you're going to sit through. You know, when when the book of Romans was showing, like they're coming and they're reading Romans. They're not saying this is Romans chapter one. They're saying this is Romans. Here it all is one piece that is a piece of wisdom and something you need to understand and tells a story and strings things along. So that's one of the biggest kind of hurdles that I think sometimes we find ourselves in. And we just naturally do it because we've just kind of grown up with it. So we see headings and breaks and chapter breaks and we're like, all right, close it here. And that's good. And I'm not saying reading small segments is wrong. I'm just saying there's always a lot more that's happening around the verses that we're often reading that we sometimes can miss. This is what happens within Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, there's a bunch of teachings of Jesus kind of right beforehand, where he's talking about wandering sheeps and you know, sheep um, and caring for like a vulnerable people. And then we get this teaching kind of smacked in about this discipline within the church. Now, the, the discipline within the church where it says, hey, if you have an issue with someone, you need to go bring it to them first. Then if you don't, if they don't listen to you, then you go get a couple people and bring it back to them. And then if they don't do that, then you get the whole church involved. And then if they don't want to listen at that point in time, then you treat them as you would the tax collectors, and, which there is a very interesting teaching in that way. Again, when you look at the larger things, what does Jesus talk about, about how you treat, treat the tax collectors with a lot of grace, by the way. So it really messes up how you kick them out of your church um, in that sense. But some people are pretty excited when they get to that point because they're like, we followed this and now we can be ruthless and kick them out. But there's more to unpack there. Really what Jesus is getting at in this point is people who are on a level playing field. We are talking again in the sense of um, there is a, there is something to be followed. There's something to respect in that. But they're saying, hey, these people are in the same space together. They are, if there was a hierarchy in some senses, this is not boss and minion kind of differences and the power 
the power struggle in that, because that's where a lot of this toxic loyalty comes in. This is where a lot of the abuse comes in within churches. This is where, or not just in churches, but in just organizations as well is when you get these power struggles and these tensions of power that can be used to manipulate what Scott and Laura do in this book is they basically say like, no, listen, you've got to understand that when you read the gospel of Jesus, the stories of Jesus, there is this deep desire of God this deep desire, and we see it played out in the life of Jesus, to protect the marginalized, to protect the victims, to protect um, the, you know, the abused, the um, the outcast. The, there is this deep protection. We see it all the time, all the time. Jesus is pushing back against the power structures to say, no, this is not actually how things are going to work. Um, so, I find it really interesting that a church that would people and followers of Jesus that would read about the stories of Jesus, that has a deep love for people, a deep care for the marginalized, a deep protection for them, that God would then go ask them to sit in front of their abuser. If that was what happened, which is often what happens. We say, Hey, there's been abuse within the church. Well, did that person who was abused go to their abuser and tell them that what they did was wrong? Well, actually, if a church, if, if leadership, if followers of Jesus even, forget leadership, if that's the wisdom that we're giving to someone who's abused, we're not caring for them. We're not loving deeply. We're not protecting vulnerable people at that point in time. We're really not. Yeah. And I read about a gospel that does care about those things. So there, there's an important distinction to make in that sense to say, yes, there is a way that we should navigate conflict. There's a way we can have, we should learn how to have dialogue. And I think we need yeah. to do that and continue to grow in that, of you know, in that within the church that, Hey, we're disagreeing on something. Hey, well, there's something that's not going right here. We're calling each other on it. We're having conversation. We're dialoguing as a family would. I mean, I mean, Kristen, you and I have kids and, and spouses and right. And we're, there's moments within your family where we're going, yeah, this isn't working. Yeah. This is not how we're behaving. This is not how we're going to, you know, this is not how we act. This isn't, this isn't us. And there's conversation. And sometimes it starts with, you know, you and your kid. And then it's, you know, the spouse comes in and then, right. And, and, and we're navigating this, we're working it out. But when we're talking about a goodness culture, a, a culture that's pushing against this toxic loyalty, and the examples that are being used within this book are things like um, a, a few different churches where stories have been covered up, where like Rachel, like you said at the beginning, where the spaces, yeah. they're being called divisive and they're saying, well, you're not following the Bible and you're, become, you're becoming divisive within an organization. Um, and within this community, because you're not following Matthew 18. That's really what, you know, they're getting at when they're talking about this. Um, you saw it with, you know, Ravi Zacharias, all of these stories come out and people are trying to be silenced because, well, what about Matthew 18? Yeah. Matthew 18. Yeah. yeah is, is about an even playing field. It's not about putting an abused person in front of someone who has abused them and saying, you need to follow this out on your own because that is deep neglect of the care for people and the care for a community and a church that's good is always going to care for its community and not put its people in those compromising situations. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, I absolutely. And, and, you know, I remember thinking this through um, maybe a couple of years ago and, and sort of thinking through this notion of, you know, oh, you know it always having to be um, dealt with the person individually. And so this idea of there being sort of the this differentiation of power and structure that that actually really changes thing. And, and you're right. Reading um, Matthew 18 as, as a, as a whole in this is actually really important because we've just heard about, you know, um, well, what's the worst thing you could do? Like if, if you cause a child to stumble, you, you may as well, you know, um, tie a millstone around your neck and, and, and drown yourself basically. So like, it's obviously what we see before this is God's like deep 
compassion and care for those who are vulnerable, for those who may have been harmed by somebody else, for those who are lost and those who are wandering. And so it wouldn't even make any sense to follow it up with, well, but if you have been mistreated, if you have been abused, and then you got to go to the person directly. Like it just doesn't at that point make, make any logical sense, right? When you read them all in context. Totally. And that's why context always matters, always matters and always looking at what's around it. Um, before and after in chapters, if you're really trying to understand, you find something that you're like, this seems a bit off to, to kind of back up a bit and say, what's actually happening here before? And where does this keep going? Cause does this actually end here? Yeah. Right. Is this and the I end of the teaching or is there more? Right. And I think sometimes it's maybe a bit of a misunderstanding of what we mean by justice. Um, because I think we're used to hearing about justice in, in terms of just like really legal, um, terms like retribution or like what fairness means under the law and all those things are, are, you know, important when we talk about fairness and laws and all that, but we're talking about a, a, a totally different kind of justice when we're talking about God's justice, right? We're talking about, um, right from the beginning, right from Genesis, when all humans are, are are equal before God. And when humans are set apart, right, specifically, um, and, and each one having their own dignity and, and, um, and, uh, worthy of being treated with dignity and fairness. And, uh, and so sometimes I think we lose, we lose track of, of this, uh, justice of God. And, and then also the justice that, that Jesus brought, like he, he wasn't, um, I think that the Jewish people had this idea of what justice would look like, right? When the right. Messiah came, what, what justice would be. And it, and it would be, you know, winning wars and this warrior and, and, and Jesus completely changed what justice looked like. Um, and uh, yeah. And the, the, so when we look at the Greek word for righteousness, it can also be translated to, to justice. And so, um, this idea of do justice, do righteousness. And we look at Jesus as the model for that. Uh, do you have any thoughts? Yeah. I, I mean, it's a, again, this is where we have to come back. And I know I'm, we, I mean, we've talked about this a lot within um, just kind of West Side's history, but this idea of being, you know, Jesus centered in that sense to say that actually he's the example that, we we follow who has kind of the the first and last word in that sense so there's this and as i collect my thoughts and and try to put them into coherent ways um there is this understanding of justice again that you know we want people to get what they deserve um there there you know there's that belief out there you see that with the news you see all sorts of stuff um a guy by the name of Shane Claiborne has is doing tons of work right now in the states around um, within states that still have the death penalty. So, in, in certain states, justice is as well. You've killed someone, so you deserve to also be killed. Mm-hmm. And and Shane, Shane Claiborne is 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 well. He's constantly being arrested himself. With there's you know as as he tries to speak up against this to say, actually, that's not how justice works. That's not, uh, you know, death. Yes, something deeply has gone wrong here, but that does not mean death for someone else. So we don't pay back death with death. That's not how this works. And is trying to work through this system of, you know, justice is not just this piece of getting what you deserve. There's, there's the Bible project talks about justice. And I think David mentioned it in a sermon about taking, making other people's problems, our problems. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's such a simple um, definition of what justice really means and looks like. Because when you take someone's problems and make them your problems, it requires you, and this is where it'd be interesting tied to righteousness and doing what's right comes in. If you're taking on someone else's problems as your own problems, you've got to do what's right for other people, even if it costs you something. Yeah. And that's, and that again is what Scott and Laura get at within this specific chapter too, where they, they talk about it. They're like this idea of justice, right? It's, it's central. Um, 
and it's costly and it, 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 it takes courage because it takes doing what is right, even when it hurts, even when it means confession, even when it means repentance, even when it means, um, you know, saying that we've done something wrong. Um, and I, and I think that's the big, that's the big piece for the church, um, is, and I was having a conversation with a friend this week about this to say, uh, you know, there's a lot in the news about where churches have gone wrong and churches have got a bad rap over it. And, you know, there's some validity to it. There's been some, you know, there's been mistakes made and there's been some cover-ups along the way that that causes a lot of problems. What I was saying with my friend and having some, you know, discussion around was this idea of, I'm not actually sure that the, that the world is necessarily shocked that the, that there's things that are wrong that happen within the church. Yeah. I think they would assume they'd happen less than they do, <laughs> but, but I, I, I still think there's a sense of that people are going, yes, we understand the world that we live in and there's mistakes that are made. I think what gives the, the church a bad rap within the world is how we handle the wrong is how we begin to walk that process out. And in lots of ways where it's gotten really ugly is when the church has tried to cover it up, has shied away from justice and righteousness and doing what's right and making other people's problems our problems and telling them that they're being divisive and to go away and to be quiet and to follow Matthew 18 and take it up themselves and do it themselves. And right. And, and we're afraid because we're afraid of what it's going to mean for our, or our organization, right. For the name of the church, or you're going to ruin this church. And there's lots of people that need this church, right. Oh, you're just bringing up so many, so many, I think, really important points here. Um, And I I think you can see the track record of different churches who have had sort of these really big blow ups that we've seen sort of in the news and that they've hit the headlines. But, you know, that that wasn't the beginning, like that big blow up, actually, none of them really surprised people because there was always um, this this track record, this history of people trying to speak up and being silenced, trying to be speak up and being silenced. And finally, you know, a lot of these big ones that we've seen, especially in, you know, uh, the church that uh, a church called Tove is referencing, this wasn't a surprise to a lot of people. These, this was bubbling underneath the surface. Um, And, uh, you know, finally just kind of exploded. But one of the things I wanted to go back to is, I think maybe some earlier on in um, uh, in our talk here, we were talking about sort of this idea of belonging to a community versus a corporation. Yeah. Um, and, and that a church is really a family and belonging to a community. And I really do think that that completely changes the way we understand, see and accept justice, right? Because the justice you want for your family <laughs> is is going to be rooted in something much deeper than necessarily the justice that you want for for the corporation what we should want everybody to be treated justly it like just hits a little bit different when you think of it as your family and and wanting just treatment of people who are a part of your family and i'm wondering if that's part of the piece that is hitting people funny it's just like you know if you if we know jesus by the way you guys love one another Mm -hmm. And, and you guys just don't even care about justice within your own family. Well, I mean, gangs care about justice within in their own family, right? Like, yeah. yeah like there's that, a famous, there's a, a famous quote and I can't remember who said it, but it said, you know, I'm just shocked because the church is the only army that shoots its own wounded. Oh yeah. And I, and I do think that's what people see is it's like, well, if this is the way that justice looks in your family if this is the way that you love one another i just don't want a part of that yeah so here's here's what's really interesting and i and i agree with everything that you're saying and i think there's an issue culturally and again we've had lots of conversations around this so we'll sound a bit like a clanging symbol but i think that's okay from time to time within the church context there's been a huge individualization of faith that has made faith become your I follow Jesus and I do that on my own. And these other people just happen to be in the same room as me. We happen to attend the same church. 
Yeah. But we don't do it together. Mm-hmm. That is a very broken system and understanding of what it means to be a community and a, a group of you know followers of Jesus in that sense. When you look at what it meant to confess and believe in Jesus in the early church days, a lot of people that moved to become followers of Jesus gave up their bloodline families. So when, you know, so as much as we mock, um, you know, some of the pastors that are like, Hey, every head bowed and eye closed and, you know, you raise your hands and none of us have our eyes closed because we're curious about who's raising their hands. Um, (laughs) we, there is a sense of understanding of like when people came to follow Jesus, there was this like, Hey, you're in the family now. And these people have become your family. And it was very corporate. It was not, Hey, have your heads bowed and eyes closed and say this individual prayer, you know, the sinner's prayer. And if you don't say it right, you're in trouble, but you know, don't worry, we'll lead you through it. Um, It was very much corporate confession that said, actually, I belong to a new group of people. And they understood it in that way because they had to, they, in some cases, literally lost their bloodline family because of this decision. So it was, and that's why you see this adoption language within scripture, this, this calling to participate in a different family, because it literally meant that within that, um, within that time. And so it, we've gotten as, you know, as, as culture has shifted and as we've had kind of very, you know, personalized lives, we, we've, we've shifted in how we think and how we talk about it to, you know, the t- how we we t- how we talk about the community we belong to, how we talk about what it means to follow Jesus, right? We we've disconnected it from a corporate community, and we, we've created it into a personal decision. Yeah, and there's a working out, and and so and one more piece just on that. What I found really interesting as we're talking about this justice piece and what you're saying of figuring this out and how do we do it well within community and, you know, and what does justice look like and what you want for your family is very different. There was, um, I was in a seminar this, this morning, um, with Barna research, Barna does a bunch of research kind of within churches and stuff. Um, and they recently, uh, released some new information called the connected generation. And it was just kind of around, um, they did some work back in 2018, 2019, somewhere in there um, around um, just like young adults and their involvement in the church, what's kept them in the church. And they were following up post-pandemic. And what they found in some of the peer groups as they were you know, asking people what they think about the church as they've had all this time at home and are they still going and are they connected and those that aren't, are they moving towards the church or what are their thoughts based on what they've kind of seen over the last couple of years? And what I found fascinating was that they said 49% of millennials and Gen Z, so kind of your 41-ish year olds and younger, those that don't identify with church, those non-church goers, they said 49% of them want to know if Christianity is good more than if it's true. Mm, yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. They're watching, they're watching what's happening within the world. They're watching, they're watching churches navigate brokenness. Fine. That's that's a part of it. But they're watching how they're handling it. And their biggest question is, is it good? Yeah. Is actually is following Jesus actually good? Because what I'm seeing and some of the other research would say is they're actually thinking that religion is somewhat of a detriment to society. So there's this disconnect. And I know you can't completely disconnect truth and goodness and you know, the purest truth is good. So, um, so there's always some of those kind of intrinsic pieces that are working together in that. But I, fa- I, it, you know, it, I just kind of had to sit back in my chair for a moment and go, isn't that interesting? Maybe Jesus was on to something when he said, you know, the world will know you by how you care for one another, by how you make other people's problems, your problems, by how you walk out your righteousness and fight for justice within the, you know, within the world around you, the kingdom, right? 
Yeah, I, uh, yeah, that's it's staggering. But you're right that the question has changed. Twenty years ago, the question was, "Is it true?" And that's where we got saw all the, you know, yes. movement, and we saw yes. all that kind of stuff coming out. And people love those studies. And it's not that there was not some, you know, obviously some really valid valid uh, information from that. But that, but when the questions changed, right? That's not the information they're looking for anymore. Yes. Um, and and we even see this in um certain, you know, um, you, I think we've had this conversation before in giving, right? Like people, a lot of times are choosing to give, they'll, they'll find a place that's good and doing good things with that money and give, yes. right? And, yes. and, and, and uh, sadly, a lot of times people are going outside the church, even if they belong to a church, they're, they're deciding I'm going to take, you know, that money and I'm actually going to put it into a different organization because what I see them doing is good. And I'm just not seeing that in the church. Sure. Um, so I think that kind of maybe goes a little hand in hand with that, where, where people really are seeking that goodness um, and, and craving to see the evidence of goodness. Yes. Yes. And, and this is where, you know, Scott and Laura in the book around justice and pushing against this culture of, you know, unhealthy loyalty really start to, to, to dig into this because the, the righteousness piece is to do what's right by following the example of Jesus. I love following Jesus, but man, that guy got in trouble a lot. Um, and, and, and if we're going to follow that, like, if we're going to say justice is a person in the same sense that David and I had a conversation about truth and we said, truth is a person. Justice is the same idea. Justice came as a person. We saw it lived out. Who did he get in the most trouble? Well, it was all the religious people and it was the religious systems and structures. And again, we've talked about some of that stuff that have create fear and live out of fear and respond out of fear. So grace becomes problematic and, this all continues as we keep talking about the circle of Tove and how we nurture these habits of goodness. They keep building on each other. They keep stacking. And to say, as we're going to keep going through this, they're all working together. Um, and so we have to say, yeah, as a church, we're going to follow the example of Jesus. That's going to protect people. That's going to care for people. That's going to love deeply. It's going to sacrifice deeply. Um, and we're going to find ourselves in trouble. Yeah. probably with, you know, we're going to find ourselves in the right kinds of trouble, I would say, yeah. because the way of Jesus and the way of the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom that power structures do not like because it strips them of their power. Okay. And so you always see the fights come out when that happens, when people, <laughs> you know, don't, don't follow and kind of come into line with how they think the world should work because the kingdom of God doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was a quote kind of near the end of this chapter where it taught says Tove cultures do the right thing, even in the most challenging moments and yes. talk cultures find a way around doing the right thing. Yeah. Which I, I was like, wow, that's just sat with that for a minute because uh, I think it's so true, right? Like, like you were just saying, you're going to find yourself in some trouble. If you go the way of Jesus, you're going to find yourself some, in some trouble. You're going to ruffle some feathers. Um, it's going to be challenging. It's not going to be smooth sailing all the time. Um, but that, you know, if you're living in a toxic culture, you, you just kind of dodge those things and would rather take the road that is smoother and going to ruffle less feathers, but it's not the good road. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, that comes back to the grace piece that we've talked about and why we end up responding in fear because um, grace gets problematic and messy for us. And fear allows us to kind of create rules and guidelines and a bounded set kind of thinking of um, this is how we can control loyalty is no different mm -hmm. than that. Um, you know, there's an example of one of the churches that they talk about quite a bit in here. We were talking just before we started recording um, that how they created um how they created like this loyalty, this toxic loyalty culture was that they would play a name game and they would drop name. They, you would pull names from a hat of, you know, previous staff members and they would go around and say all the bad things that that person did and just openly mock them um, as a way. And it really was twofold. They mocked, but it created this toxic loyalty because it taught people that you don't want to be one of those that's left. If you yeah. leave your bad, 
you've done a bunch of bad things because it gets called out and you don't want to be one of the those bad people that have left because you'll know that this is what's going to happen to you. And so they create this loyal, this toxic loyalty to this organization based on fear and control and, and gaslighting and all of those things. So it's just, just a really interesting, yeah, it, it's, it's bad. Yeah. There's yeah. no other way to put it. Just to say the least. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something there that um, I know we've talked about a few times, but like you said, I don't think it's bad to come back to things over and over again. You taught, you mentioned bounded set. So there's bounded set and center and center set. Um, and I'm just wondering if you have any ideas like how that works with justice and, and, and a lot of times us thinking, um, you know, our, our role is to keep people um, from, from, from getting in, right. To like keep people out. Right. When it, yeah. How is justice more of like a, a center set model? Yeah. So really, I guess really quick, in case people listening don't know what bounded set centered set, that kind of thinking is bounded set is this idea of there's kind of in and out language and there's a clear it's, there's only one way to get in. You kind of have to follow the, the steps. Yeah. Um, it would be like building Ikea furniture you have to follow the steps, right? And if you don't, it doesn't go together at the end and everyone gets angry. And anyways, um, we're, we're a centered set, right? Like, and, it, and that's, and church is a function there for a long time. You, yeah. your first step is you're going to invite someone to come to church. They're going to come to church. Then they're going to come to a newcomer class. And then from the newcomer class, they go to alpha. And then from alpha, they go to a membership class. And then from a membership class, they to a baptism class from baptism class to the baptismal tank, from the baptismal tank to a small group where they, you know, live forever. Um, that's like, that's a very bounded set thinking of what it means for someone to discover Jesus and become a follower. Centered set is going to slap Jesus at the center um, and say, actually, there's this, there's this scattering of people around Jesus, but Jesus is at the center and how people are getting there is different, but it's near far language. It's how do we help people move towards Jesus? How do we help them on their own journey with their own interests, their own life, their own struggles, their own history, their own experiences, all of those things and say, it's not a one size fits all piece that comes to following Jesus. There is a lot of moving parts here because we're all created differently. We all have different life experiences and come from different cultures and backgrounds and upbringings. And there's so many moving parts to it. So we say Jesus is at the center and we want to help people move towards it. How justice I think fits into that is by understanding their own life situation. Again, making other people's problems, your own problems. If we're going to just keep using the Bible projects definition, which I think is a good one. To make someone else's problems your own problems, you have to know their life. You actually have to know who they are, what they've experienced, what they're walking through, what they're facing, the struggles, the, you know, the challenges, those types of things in order to help find what justice even looks like Yeah. or to name the injustice, right? Which is another big part of what it means to create a culture that is going to be good. Mm-hmm. we've got to be willing to name the injustice and do something about it. And again, that's the costly piece, but that's how we help people move towards Jesus is when they see the church responding to the injustice yeah. by following the example of Jesus. Yeah. I love that. And yeah, it just really, because in at the end of this chapter, they talk about how do you build a justice culture? And that's one of it is recognize injustice. And I wonder if sometimes and that's why when you talked about bounded set, it just kind of clicked in my head about how sometimes it's the barriers that we put, right? Recognizing injustice sometimes is looking at the barriers that like that sometimes churches or, or Christians place within church in order to keep people from even being able to reach the middle, right? So that totally, totally. And again, it comes back to grace and fear and you find yourself. Yeah. And I think that's why Scott and Laura have made it a circle where you kind of find yourself continually coming back around to all of these other ideas to say, right, it is a circle. It's not a linear piece that we, we need to work on step one, step two, step three, step four. They're saying this, you're constantly coming back through these and responding, understanding all of these things to find where am I at in the circle of creating, you know, nurturing habits of goodness. I'm really fearful. Well, I'm probably messing up grace. Right. Hey, I'm, I'm fighting for unhealthy loyalty. It's probably a justice piece. We're scared of, you know, doing the right thing and what that might mean for people and what they think about us or how they participate. Yeah. 
Yeah. So recognize injustice, which you said, you know, you need to know people's stories, which, uh, you know, in earlier chapters, uh, Scott and Laura talked about people first cultures, right? Yes. So it, it means focusing on people first cultures. That's proximity. That's time. Right. And, and, and valuing those things, valuing people and their stories. Then the second thing that they mention is recognize the fallout and yes. press on. So it's yeah. doing the right thing regardless of the fallout, which we were talking about a little earlier here that you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> it's it's going to, it's bound to happen if you're making, you, you know, decisions based on Jesus and, and who he is, you're going to find some trouble. Well, and again, it's, it comes down to a definition of success. What does success look like? Why do we avoid the fallout and create these cultures of loyalty? Because yeah. the biggest pinch that we've bought into as, as, as a church is that the more people we have in the room, the more quote unquote successful we are as a church, as a community. Um, you know, there's the, you know, healthy things grow. I hear a lot of churches say those things and that's how they talk about their, their numbers. Right. And they say, yeah, if we're not growing numerically well, healthy things grow. So that's not true. That's not true. Um, Amazon has grown massive, massive over the last number of years. And there is a lot of complaints coming out about how they're treated and what that looks like, but numerically, as far as, you know, how much money they make. Sure. If that's your own, if that's your only defining factor, we we've, we've kind of bought into that as a church and that's where we fall into the organization and corporation. Yeah. Again, as we say, well, we've got to have the most people, we've got to have the most, you know, quote unquote business in that sense. And, And so if things are going to rock the boat of business of people, we, we avoid it because that's what success is. Whereas Biblical success is is faithfulness. It's it is righteousness. It's justice. It's grace. It's it it calls out what's wrong. And I actually think, at the end of the day, we talked about this again last week. Truth always comes to the surface. It can't hide. It's it can't hide. Right. the The light has overcome the darkness, and the darkness right cannot light just takes over. So this stuff comes forward when it comes forward, and we've tried to avoid the fallout. The fallout is way worse, way worse, way worse. Why? Because now they think you're liars on top of what you've already done. So you've just slapped something else on top of the issue, right? It's it's with our kids. They've done something wrong. And then they lie about it. Well, it's a double whammy at that point in time, right? If you just tell us the truth at the start, we can sort it. And you're, you actually get in less trouble, right? right. In, in most cases, as a kid, if that's what happens, right? Yes, there's, there still may be things that have to be sorted and processes to walk and to follow. And, but the mess actually is less if we're willing to just face it in the moment. And that goes back to my comment about, I, I don't think the world would be shocked about people making mistakes. I, I yeah. think they're most frustrated about the church hiding it. Yeah, absolutely. And so the, the third thing that they, uh, um, third way to build a justice culture is tell stories about doing the right thing. Hmm. And I love that one. It says, you know, you look at the Bible warts and all. I mean, it's the Bible's filled with stories, right. That don't necessarily put who the, who we should consider the hero in, in the best light. And, um, and I think that's really important is that honesty piece, exactly what you're talking about, right. How do we, how do we come, how do we show the world, you know, um, this humility? Well, it's, it's telling the story and say, yeah, we were wrong. And, and the, the repentance piece, right? The asking hmm. for forgiveness, being honest about our stories, being honest about our history, being able to say, yeah, we, we absolutely messed up, but we're committed to walking in the way of Jesus and, and we yeah. might mess up again, but you know, we're committed to this and we're committed to being honest about it. Yeah. I heard, uh, again, in this seminar that was, I was a part of today, um, a guy by the name of Braxy Cavey, who's a leader here in the Canadian context at the Meeting House out in Ontario, was it was interesting. He was on a panel, and they were talking obviously about a bunch of different kind of data and stuff and research, and and he kept referring to you know their community as a, rep, a a repentance movement. That's how he kept talking about it. 
he just said, yeah, we invite people to join our repentance movement. And, and he said, um, you know, when you look in Matthew and Mark, when Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God has come near, so repent and believe you see it on both, on both, um, in both cases, Matthew and Mark, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, that's drawn near repent and believe what he said that I found rather fascinating was this idea of repentance is often one that we say looks backwards and is looking at past. And that's a part of it. That absolutely is a part of it. But when you actually look at the word repentance and and really what it means, there's also an anticipation of what's to come and how God's going to work and the kingdom of God that's going to work moving forward, which creates a very significant statement when you say, yeah, we want to invite people to participate in a repentance movement because yes, there is this ownership of what's gone wrong and we get it wrong, but there's this anticipation for how God's going to continue to work in spite of it and in light of it and in response to it as we continue to move forward and and wrestle constantly with what it means to follow Jesus. And I think that's often a missing piece when we think about the repentance piece. We think repent is just to look backwards. We repent and we, we, you know, we look at what's gone wrong, but when Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, that's drawing there, he's going, no, also look ahead. That's a part of the repentance piece is to look forward into how the kingdom of God wants to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. That's incredible. Um, Let's just kind of wrap up. We're nearing the end of our time here. Uh, One of my favorite verses to, dealing with justice, really simple. It's Micah 6, 8, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And I love it because I love the uh, phrase, do justice, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's an action that is not, yeah, not just like justice. Don't just, yeah, like, not just it. like it. Don't just yeah. love justice. It's actually do justice. Yeah. Which I think is great. And, and I think it sort of speaks to what you were just saying too, right? Like there is a pursuit of it. Um, and and that, that, um, yes, there's a looking back, but the pursuit of justice includes looking forward. So there's a now and not yet part of thing, right? Yes. That's very Tom Wright of you. So now and not yet. (laughs) I'll take it as a compliment. It is. is. Definite. (laughs) Great. Well, it's been awesome to have this conversation with you and, uh, and with all those who are, here this evening and uh yeah so i i think next week is our last one it is christ likeness and service that's right so i jam in two chapters together there yeah you and i back here again to to talk about that so i look forward to it